We are in a series um, called Overwhelmed, but Overcoming. It's the story of UT football for the Vols fans out there. Sorry, Alabama fans. It's overwhelmed with defeat, I guess. I don't know. It's not about college football. That just sat funny with me. Um, Today, we are continuing our series that is not about college football, um, that is about being overwhelmed. And as we do that, um, one of the things our society often does is gets things backwards from the values of the way that Jesus orders life. For example, in our society, it, it teaches us to closely guard our money, but to be very generous and liberal with our sexuality. Jesus teaches the opposite, to closely guard our sexual purity and then be liberal or generous with our money. And so today, one of the things that we're going to look at, the thing we're looking at today, and you can put that title slide up there, is being overwhelmed with greed, but overcoming. And that's a hard one to probably think about for us. So before we get into that, let's pray. Father, I do pray that you will open our eyes. related to money, related to how our hearts might be greedy. And if we see that, help us then to be able to change, to turn from it, and to follow you. Help us to be thankful for all that you've given us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, what I want to submit to you today as a, as as what we're doing is that we, me, and you, we, get overwhelmed with greed and we don't even realize it because it's so normal. We get overwhelmed with greed and you might think, I don't think I'm overwhelmed with it and and I suggest that's a symptom that it's so normal we don't know it. Now, that may or may not be true, but let me give you some examples of that and then let's talk about this. For example, sale, BOGO, buy one, get one. Right? What, what is being happening, what's being pushed in the sale is it's, it's coming to the desires that you have to, to get a deal, perhaps, right? I'll be rewarded if I buy one, I get another one. Of course, the flip side of that is if, if I don't make this decision right now, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to miss out. Or I'm not going to keep up with others who, who have this, right? And so the whole thing is it goes to our emotions, to our desire of what we want at the moment, and it plays on that. Or go on a walk. And I enjoy looking at how others have landscaped their yards or their fall decorations or the quality or size of their house. And it easily leads me to wanting what I don't have. Wanting what I don't have isn't all wrong. Wanting it at a level that gets to sin is, we'll get to that later, especially if I don't have the money for it. Or I drive through a vineyard for a day to go get a glass of wine, and I'm like, man, look at this. Wouldn't it be cool to live here? And it would be, but there's the idyllic side of being cool to live there, and then there's the side of working the farm, (laughs) right? It's not all dreamy just driving through it, right? Like, that's not all the truth of what it is. Or retirement accounts. I haven't looked at mine. I don't want to see it. Um, It'll make me worry too much, to tell you the truth. But planning is important. Planning for retirement, for savings, to care for yourself and your family, that's important. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. In, uh, in nearly 30 years of, of ministry, I've had people 
seek out counsel for all kinds of things. Um, all kinds of things, from um, marriage trouble to suicide to homosexuality to pornography to sexual abuse to all kinds of things. I've had people ask how they can give. To date, I don't remember anybody saying, I'm a greedy person, please help. So as we look at greed, I want to ask two questions. And, uh, and the first question is this. What happens when you become overwhelmed with greed? This is my first point, basically, so you can put that slide up there. The first point. What happens when you become overwhelmed with greed? And the, the sub-point after that is, go ahead and hit that next slide, is that greed leads you to use money irresponsibly. This is one of the things that happens when you become overwhelmed with greed, you start using money irresponsibly. So this is a sign of it. And what happens is that cuts two ways. You can use money irresponsibly by having poor money management or using it so well that you develop pride in it. And both of those can be irresponsible use of money. But let me show you how. So it, it can contribute to poor money management. And this is where you, you don't manage money well. You, you spend money that you don't have. You become the butt, butt of the jokes. You become the stooge right? And you're the one that's, that's sinking, drowning in debt. Proverbs 28, 19 talks about this. It says, those who work with their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty, right? And so in Midlotopia, as I like to call it, the goal is we buy what everybody else has, whether we have the money or not for it, so that we can keep up with everybody. But if you do that, it will lead you to feeling like you are captured or enslaved by that debt in order to try to keep up. You'll be enslaved by your greedy choices, poor money management, right? So it can lead in that way. Greed can lead to the irresponsible use of money. But the other side of that, right, is that it contributes to pride in money management. Instead of becoming the stooge, you become the scrooge, right? This is what happens here is... In Proverbs 28, 22, notice this verse. It says, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. While hard work and responsibility are good things. Let me say that again. While hard work and responsibility are good things. They are biblical virtues. If you tend to think, though, that money is generated by your own isolated efforts, apart from the blessing of the place that you were born into and live in, in this country, apart from the systems that are in place to help you, apart from your company which helps hire you or the company that you started, or apart from the blessing of God to send rain on the just and the unjust, you are deceiving yourself and giving yourself too much credit for all that you have built. Right? I mean, that's what Nebuchadnezzar does in Daniel. Look at all that I built. And God says, really? He says, I'll take it from you. So too much pride, pride in it, can lead to um, you being a Scrooge, right? And then what happens is it's all mine. I made it, so I'm keeping it. I'm using it for me. It's irresponsible use of money. And it's driven by greed. It might also be hard if that's your thing, to receive a gift from somebody. Receiving a gift can be a hard thing to do because it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty good on my own. And uh, it makes it hard to do when somebody's being generous. 
in either of those cases, whether you are being, having, using your money management as poor or whether there's pride in it, in either of those cases, one of the things that you're not doing is helping the poor. And the reason I bring that up is because the Bible talks about helping the poor a lot. It's a mandate that goes throughout the Old Testament in the way that Israel is set up, throughout the prophets and into the New Testament as Jesus talks about it. Paul making collections for the poor in Jerusalem as he goes about his travels. The poor are always close to God's heart to care for them. Let me give you an example of one of the prophets um, in Amos chapter 8 verses 1 to 6. These verses are on, will be on the screen too, I believe. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Hear this. You who trample the needy, go to that next slide. You who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Notice what's being said about the poor being neglected, being trampled, but how money gets used in that in verses 5 and 6. Things like, skip the Sabbath in order to make more money. Use dishonest pricing or weighing in the scales and the way you're going to charge things. Fill your bread with filler, the sweepings from the floor to mix with the wheat. Put filler in there, right? All these things to deceive people to say, here's not, this isn't helping the poor. And God's heart is saying, don't do that, right? And so greed in all of those ways can lead to such irresponsible use of money and the poor are not helped or you become poor or you become proud. But the second sub-point here is that greed does more than that. It's actually far worse because what it does is it leads you away from God into idolatry. It's not just simply that you become a bad money manager or that you become proud or that you failed to help the poor. It's that you've become an idolater. What is greed? Greed is simply the desire for material wealth, right, while ignoring spiritual things that God tells us to, to pay attention to. Greed is, in essence, the belief that I cannot be content until I have fill in the blank. Until I have more of this or that. I cannot be content until I have this. And if you're saying that, what are you saying? What am I saying? If I'm saying that, the flip side is I'm saying, God you are not enough right now. I need more. And when it comes to that point, what you have done is become an idolater. God, I'm moving you off the pedestal and I'm putting this there. Whatever that is. Notice the command, the 10th commandment in Exodus 20, verse 17 says this. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? You don't, not their house, not their land, their property, not their servants, their lawn service, pool service, maid, whatever it is, their ox, their donkey, their car, their tractor, whatever they got, 
We're not supposed to covet that. It exposes how we become discontent, and that command requires us to learn to be content and to be charitable. Ephesians 5 5, I'll put on the screen for you because you might be going, okay, well, that, maybe I shouldn't be coveting, but that doesn't, it's not the same as idolatry. But Paul says it is. Look what he says. He says, for all this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. In other words, what he's saying is, when you start chasing after all the other things, greed being one of them, what you have done is replace God. You've become an idolater. We use money in very different ways, right? We can use money um, in lots of different ways uh, for entertainment and pleasure, right? That might be the value money has for you is to be able to do things and, and have a, a great day out in the country or whatever it is. It makes you feel alive and free. It's not a bad thing, right, to use it that way. Uh, you could use it for status in the eyes of others to signal that I've got the good life now, I've made it, or I'm in with the group that I need to be in with. You could use it for security in your own mind, right? I'm protected, I'm safe, I'm taken care of. Again, not all bad, right? In terms of the things we need to do for our family and so forth, we're instructed to take care and be responsible so that others don't have to take care of us so that we don't become poor, right? Those are ways we sometimes use money, the kind of the value that we attach to money. It's not wrong to use money. Money is not a bad thing. It's good to enjoy life, to plan for emergencies in retirement. You love it, so much that you cannot do without the status, the security, or the pleasure that it provides, it might be becoming an idol in your life. So you need to ask that question. If I don't have that status, if I don't have that security, if it's all taken away from me, if I become like Job or Nebuchadnezzar, do I still have God? Do I say that or not? Where has it become an idol where I got to have that or I can't make it? If that's the greatest danger in greed, then the second thing I want to ask, the second big question, the second point here is to ask this is, how do you then move away from idolatry toward God? How do you do that, right? If, if the potential for greed is to say you're moving toward idolatry, how do we undo that? How do I move toward God? And the way to overcome being overwhelmed with greed is through contentment and generosity, now, let's think about that for a few moments here, and, and I'll give you a verse just to show you that that's kind of what the Bible says. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversations be without covetousness, without the love of money, and be content, right? Be content with such things that you have. Most people believe that as wealth increases and you have more stuff, then you will become more generous, in other words, when I have just a little more, then I will give this, give more. But I suggest to you that's a mistaken presupposition because generosity isn't born out of abundance, right? That presupposition is if I have enough, then I'll give. In other words, generosity is born out of abundance. But I don't think that's how generosity comes about. Generosity is born out of contentment and trusting God who is generous. That's what the Bible teaches us. 
Let me, let me run through some examples for you, and I'm not going to put all these on the screen here, but of the Apostle Paul talking in his letter, writing a letter to the people of Ephesus. Ephesus was a, an extremely wealthy city. Um, even if you go to the ruins of it today, you can see the bathhouses, the steam rooms, the gymnasium, the theater, the library, all the stuff, like world-class city, okay? Uh, and Paul writes to the people living in a wealthy city. Notice the language he uses in chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption, forgiveness, the riches of God's grace. In chapter 1, verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In chapter 2, verse 7, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In chapter 3, verse 8, that I preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. In chapter 3, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Notice how Paul, talking to people of great means, is saying, your means aren't rich enough. You need something that's even greater. You need the incomparable riches of God. And in 1 Timothy 6, 17, we have that verse we can put on the screen who is living in Ephesus, and he's instructing Timothy about his ministry in Ephesus when he gives him these commands. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Right? Enjoyment is not wrong. Recognizing the source of where it comes from is critically important, that it is God who has blessed you. That it is God who has been generous to you. We have to recognize this. How to move away from idolatry toward God means it requires a change of heart that begins seeing God as generous. Requires a change of heart that begins seeing God as generous. And that's the generosity of God. One of the things we have to do then is start recognizing that every dollar we have is a gift from our generous father. A gift to be treasured, a gift to be stewarded well, and a gift to be shared generously. And so in order for you to move away from idolatry toward God, your heart has to change. And your heart has to begin seeing God as generous rather than stingy. God's not the Scrooge. He's not stingy. He wasn't stingy when he created the world. He wasn't stingy when he poured out his blessings on his people. He wasn't stingy when he sent his own, his one and only son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice that we need to pour out his blessings on us. God isn't stingy. He's supremely generous. But the second part of this then is, in order to move away from idolatry toward God, is not simply a change of heart, but also a change of habit. A change in the way we operate. And so you can put that slide up there too. That's the second sub-point there. It requires a change of habit from operating out of scarcity to operating out of generosity. Right? That's a habit change, a mindset change and a habit change. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. To overcome your idols... You have to replace them. You can't have an idol and go, I like this idol a whole lot. It's very shiny and nice. And I'm going to put Jesus right next to it. I want both of those. You can only have 
Jesus says there's, you can't serve both God and money. You can only have one master. Who do you serve? Again, money's not bad. Money's necessary for life. God wants to take care of us. But when it comes down to who's enough, who do you serve? Right? In order to replace an idol, you can't put Jesus next to it. You have to remove the idol and say, Jesus, you have to be enough. You have to be enough for me. So what do you replace greed with? Well, certainly with Jesus, right? And we replace him with Jesus in terms of our heart, that mindset, but in terms of a habit, means we've got to start replacing greed with generosity, right? If, we, if we're looking for a measure of how I'm not greedy, how I don't hang on to things so much, then the opposite of that is, what, what do I enjoy giving away? How do I enjoy being generous? And giving money away, even to the point that, that it costs you something. One of our deacons was reflecting recently on a time in a Bible study that he remembers well, where one of the guys who he was talking to was talking about giving. And he said, giving, we've just made it a habit in our life, in our family's life. And in our principles, we give until it hurts. So that it's sacrificial. So that we know we're being generous and it's not just extra, right? We give until it hurts. I think that's probably why God commands us to give a tithe or a tenth of all that we have. For most of us, that's very costly and very sacrificial, right? Like, wow, that's a lot of money. For some, it may not be. You may be very wealthy and, and, and giving a tenth is, is not very sacrificial. It might be rather easy or unnoticeable. God's blessed us all in different ways, but he calls us all to give generously. And to give gener- generously is not, it's not Disney-like. It's not easy. It's not magical and going, oh, here it is. No, it's sacrificial. Saying, okay, I'm counting the cost and saying, okay, Lord, I'll be generous because you have been generous to me. My kids are now out of the nest and uh, our grocery budget is substantially less, which I'm thankful for uh, inflation isn't helping that, but because the kids are gone, the grocery budget budget is substantially less than when they were at home, and um, the the cost of feeding them was necessary in order to to sustain life. They have to be fed, right? So the cost of feeding them was necessary to sustain life, um, and the reason I say that is because this church is alive, and the cost of feeding it is necessary to sustain life. And so what I would like to do is to help you see in a a few ways maybe how this church is alive so you know you have good reason to be generous toward the church. So allow me to make that case for you briefly. Here's a couple of things. We have sent a couple of families to New Creation Church Plant in Chester, which just launched. In fact, they meet again today for one of their preview services, and then they begin regularly on October 30th and go weekly thereafter. We uh, are sending a family to Farmville, which is likely to begin in the spring. Um, and they're interviewing, their, their presbytery is interviewing a pastor at this point, uh, trying to get, get that all ready to come on board. We're going to send about a dozen families to Amelia to, to church plant. We're giving substantial financial uh, support through our missions committee and through our church planting fund that we have created. It's a great thing that we should celebrate. It's fantastic. As we send them out, it means we have to give more in order to replace those who are being sent out. 
in order to continue sustaining the ministries that we have. Your missions committee also supports Hispanic church leadership development in Virginia, supports a church plant called Iglesia Hispania, who we just ordained an assistant pastor to. Your missions committee also supports real life, recovering from everyday addictive lifestyles. It supports STEP, strategies to elevate people near Gilpin Court. It supports Young Life in Chesterfield and in Amelia County. It supports missionaries to Malawi, South Africa, Ukraine, India, Ireland, Spain, and to Muslims and Hindus in England. In addition, your giving supports three full-time staff and five part-time staff in the ministries they lead. Your children's ministry involves about 175 kids and your youth ministry about 75 kids. Our challenge goal this year to continue doing all this is for the congregation to give $800,000 for that budget. We talked about that in our summer meetings, uh, our summer congregational meeting. And the good news is as of now, we're on track to do that. The challenge is will we be able to meet it or not? I don't know. But that's the fun of seeing, right? God's been generous to us. Let's be generous also. Our elders and deacons ask you to give generously. If you are new to church and you are thinking about being connected here and committing to this church, then I want to invite you to begin giving too. You may think, oh no. Oh no, I was really liking this church until right about now. Here's another preacher Asking for money seems a little self-serving. It's a fair question. I'm grateful that I'm supported by the giving that you give to this church. All of our staff is very grateful that we are supported the way that we are supported financially, that we get paychecks. I also am not exempt from tithing. I give. I've I've been poor, literally lived below the poverty line when I was married for a few years. I've also been well supplied as I am now. God is good. God is generous. And he has been enough for me all along the way. I'm learning now to be even more generous with the resources he's giving. Some of that's been inspired by you and the way that you give. And so we should give to the work that God has for us in the ministry of the church. But don't miss the main point here. I mean, I've just made that case, but don't miss the main point. The main point is not simply about church ministry, but it's about your heart and God. How do you, in your heart, see God? Do you see God as generous and enough? Giving, then, is a way to remove an idol and say, okay, God, you're generous and you will be enough. There's a book that may be helpful for you that I read that was helpful for me. It's called True Riches. Subtitle is What Jesus Really Said About Money in Your Heart, written by John Cortines and, and uh, Gregory Bomber. True Riches. I want to read to you part of the foreword of that book. It says this, Do you trust me? This is a big question from God that we must answer in every area of life. My life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This verse and the question of trust in God has defined my football journey. God never promised me success. He just asked me to trust him and walk with him day by day. 
He asked me to trust him when I broke my ankle as a high school quarterback, potentially ending my shot at getting recruited to play in college. He asked me to trust him when I had no scholarship offers and when my prospects of becoming the starting quarterback at Michigan State appeared slim throughout my freshman and sophomore years. After a successful college career, I had hoped to be drafted into the NFL into the first or second round. But God asked me to trust him when I fell to the fourth round and got drafted to a team where I would surely be a backup. It would be three years before I became the starting quarterback of the Washington Redskins. It's now my privilege to be the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. The point of my football journey is not that trusting God brings amazing success. Rather, in success or in failure, in great moments and in weak moments, my highest calling and opportunity is to grow my walk with him. I've navigated life without much money as a college student, and I'm now navigating life with abundant finances. My wife, Julie, and I have learned to walk in trusting relationship with God in this area of our lives. We firmly believe that money itself is neither good nor bad, but its use is highly spiritual. There are no easy answers, but there is a faithful God who invites us to humbly walk with him through every financial circumstance and decision. Kirk Cousins. My point to you is since God has been generous to you, Will you be one who says, God is enough, and I will be generous too? Let's pray. Jesus, I do pray that you will help us to be people who know the depth of your generosity to us, and that you will move us to become more generous in our lives. That we don't live with a mindset of scarcity, but a mindset of abundance, a mindset of blessing and what you have provided for us. Help us to be willing to to give of our time and our resources and our means that you have provided for us. That we would be a blessing to others. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.